Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. College football season is in full swing, and the last of the major pro sports leagues kick off this week. And Bet Online is your top spot for all your NBA action this season as well. With Major League Baseball's postseason, the NFL, college football, and the NHL all in play right now, Bet Online is your number one source for your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything on the NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile apps access for every sport anytime head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to get in on the action don't forget to use our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit state of state is presented by bet online where the game starts also state of state is a proud supporter of blue white outfitters Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out the latest Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise today. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the best tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. State IPA is available now at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants. Visit www.funkbrewing.com slash beers slash state dash IPA to learn where and how you can get State IPA. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Ladies and gentlemen, the Penn State Nittany Lions somehow managed to pull out a victory in a game that probably should not have been as close as it was. Penn State ultimately edges Indiana at home by a score of 33 to 24, and it literally came down to the last few minutes to do so. I don't think anybody saw this playing out the way that it did. There are a lot of concerns that come out of this. But the old adage is a win is a win is a win. So you'll take the win. But Justin, this was the last way I expected this game to go down. And I saw people hopping on social media thinking, oh, no, is this going to be Illinois 2021 all over again? I mean, it was a slow start and not the game that I was expecting. I mean, come out with a W and, you know, a late big play touchdown, I I think is something to be proud about, but man, this was not the type of game that I thought we were going to have against Indiana, just in terms of, you know, penalties and just mistakes. And just like you said, frankly, just not being this close of a game um, after last week. But when we got through and talk about a little bit. Self-inflicted wounds. That's something James Franklin talked about after the Ohio State game and in the press conferences that he held this week. And it just seemed like overall, The offense, yes, absolutely the problem. We're going to dive into that plenty. But the defense didn't seem like itself, its normal self, until the end of the third quarter. It was very out of character for one of the best defenses in the country. 
Uh, thank you, first of all, for everybody joining us live here on our YouTube channel. Like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications for those of you that are listening to the audio version of this down the road. Rate us. We appreciate it. Uh, for all of you hopping in the comments section, we will get to as many of your questions and comments as possible. And the Super Chat function is engaged. So if you want to donate to the channel, it allows us to do more stuff like this, these live post-game shows for all of you. Matthew, uh, yes. It's a W. I think that's the big thing to walk away with. Um, man, that offense is suspect. If it wasn't for the running backs, uh, this could have ended badly. Uh, we can start there. I mean, I, I look at this. Katron Allen really came on late and had some strong, tough runs and receptions as well there in that, uh, I guess you call it the game-winning drive that really kind of tipped things for Penn State. I wouldn't say it was the huge tipping point, but still certainly helped. Nick Singleton as well getting involved. Singleton, uh, 15 carries for 50 yards, a rushing touchdown, plus five catches for 31 yards. Uh, a lot of work for these two. Uh, starting with the running backs, Justin, uh, how'd you feel about their contributions today? I mean, they they kind of they attacked the running game. I will say that. I mean, we didn't have the explosive runs that we were looking for, but they controlled the ground game, especially Katron and and Nick in different moments of the game, like you said, coming down to that final drive. But you know, I think they did a great job. I mean, you saw what Katron, 18 for 81, 4.5 yards of carry. I mean, no touchdowns. And then Nick, 15 for 50. You know, and critical moments of the game, like I said, those aren't like crazy outbound stats, but just from controlling the ground game, controlling the, the flow of the game, kind of, I think it neutralized some of where we were going wrong today. Um, like you said, I mean, last week we threw the ball like 40 plus times. That's something that's completely different on just our identity. So this is closer than what we've been doing for the rest of the season. But like you said, just execution, uh, making plays on third down. I mean, even though it's just a better conversion than we had last week, still got to make, you know, like make those big plays on third down, beat the one-on-one -on -one matchups and things of that nature. And I think that's what we, we've seen and kind of the running game helped you know, get us over some of those humps. But, I mean, it's, it's a victory. But, again, you know, it's just barely better than what we got to do to get past the team. And it's just like we would think we'd be a little bit more explosive against Indiana. But, like, kudos to Indiana. We talked about it previously um, about this game. Like, they're going to come out ready to play Coach Allen and uh, that group. And just they did. They came out. The, I feel like Indiana came out putting their best effort forward. But Penn State weathered the storm and came out with a W. But, yeah, you just got to – you think just be a little bit more efficient at the beginning. Matthew, all over the comment section here, IU looked like they wanted it more. Um, hard to argue that for a good portion of the game. The body language wasn't great for Penn State in that first half, but obviously things flipped there in the second half. Uh, Justin, to the point you were just making, Penn State 7 of 18 on third down this game. Obviously marked improvement from the Ohio State game. It's still under 50%. It's not as big of an improvement as you would like to see. Getting to more of the comments here, uh, Julian Rodriguez saying, I'm still trying to process that Penn State barely scrapes by Indiana. Uh, Paul Wall saying Penn State barely beat the worst team in the Big Ten. Not good, folks. Here's the thing that I found interesting is that today, elsewhere in the Big Ten, Northwestern, 4-4 four and four now, defeated Maryland, now 5-3. and three, And we saw Maryland give Ohio State a run for their money. Penn State had their issues with Northwestern early in that game a few weeks ago, ultimately won that game going away. But still, it's just the competition in the Big Ten. I, I think 
these teams are what we thought they were, but there's just been some play that has allowed them to hang around. Uh, it's hard to really you know explain without having watched the entirety of some of these other games. But uh, Julian also hopping in here. Is this the type of game to wake up the Lions? Uh, you would think a loss would wake you up a little bit on certain areas of your game, but uh, I guess you can say it's a wake-up call. I mean, I think anytime that you come out of a, a situation where you're not expected, I think you just look at it with objective eyes of, yeah, I, I guess it's, a, I don't know. I guess it's a wake-up call. It's hard to say it's a wake-up call after after a loss, but I don't know. What do you think, Tom? It felt like a hangover. It felt like the Ohio State game, to make a boxing analogy, Penn State got knocked down to the mat. And this was Penn State fighting to get back up to back up to its feet, ultimately won its next fight. But it just wasn't that pretty. Your hope is that by the time the Maryland game comes around next week, which is on the road against Maryland, Maryland, I just mentioned Maryland just lost to Northwestern. So they're going to be going home with something to prove. It's like, OK, this this can be the only game that you can allow to have really made you worried and you still came back and won it. And we talked about it this week, Justin, is James Franklin talked about don't let this Ohio State loss beat you twice. It nearly happened. And you can excuse it against a Michigan on November 11th, but there's almost no excuse for it against Indiana at home. That's a great point. And especially drawing into, like you said, that that hangover loss or what James was saying is like, don't let the Ohio State game beat us twice. This is exactly what he was referring to, right? Coming out of the tunnel, coming out to a, a rocky start, uh, penalties on special teams, whatever that may be, bring, giving up two explosive plays on defense from it seemed like a mental error or just bus standpoint. Like that's one, it's one thing to give up a give up a touchdown just because of physical um, nature of something and a player being better, but it's one thing when it's a, a mental. Um, a mental error or it's just like a blown coverage and those are the type of things where you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot and that's what you cannot have when you want to be above the line program in the area that we've been talking about this team so i mean i think you're 100 percent right they got through it so i mean from that standpoint i guess it's a wake-up call from like hey we don't want to have this loss be a carryover realizing that hey this loss can't this this squeak by win can't be a carryover to how we play for the rest of the season so, like, maybe from that standpoint, it is a, a wake-up wake victory for the Lions. There's things like, yes, Keandre's catch at the end to score the touchdown and the way the defense forced the safety, which was one of those edge-of-your-seat type plays. You are like, oh, my God, can they pick it up? Can they pick it up? Those two plays were monumental. And the irony, Justin, that what everybody was bagging on, Corey Geiger, who covers Penn State football about a few weeks ago, just throw it deep ultimately proved to be the difference in one of the closing plays of the game and the game that helped uh, the play that helped Penn State take the lead was a long go route one-on-one -on -one. it was the right call and it's not to say that they were avoiding calls like that for a lot of the game but just the irony of yeah take that shot deep 100% and like and kudos to them for staying with it right there was areas in the game where whether you're looking deep you get a, a intentional grounding or, um, you know, there was one, I mean, he made up for it, but there was a third down where Keandre missed the one-on-one big post you know, drop and different things in that area and staying with attacking the, attacking the um, defense down the field. And 
you get, you know, you risk it and you get a little biscuit at the end and to the point where it was an actual W beyond a biscuit, just the six points. So, I mean, hopefully we there's some confidence being built in that area because you have to get comfortable letting it rip a little bit. And I think he did do that today in a critical moment. So kudos to them on that aspect. Coming back to Josh's comment, had it up here before. Ugly, but a win is a win, even with a hangover after last week's loss. Now is time to correct the player psychology to take on the Terps next weekend. Completely agree. Uh, Matthew is all over the comment section today. We really appreciate that. I want to go to this one thing that he just hit. So speaking about the wide receivers, Penn State needs a Dotson or an Aaron Robinson, uh, Allen Robinson, excuse me. None of these wide receivers can get separation. And here's the thing from the first half, Harrison Wallace injured again, was on a sling on the sideline, also in a sling on the sideline. Also, uh, Caden Wallace, offensive tackle, came out in the first half. I don't believe he came back during the second half. So some injuries that you factor in. But it's hard for me to argue with Matthew here, Justin, is that, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith, the word in the offseason, oh, he's taking that leap. He's wide receiver number one. And listen, he had that touchdown play there at the end, so he certainly made a play when it mattered. I can't fault him for that. Uh, and his numbers, you know, don't necessarily indicate a guy who didn't do anything remarkable today. Six for 96 when a touchdown on nine targets. Like, that's not a bad day for a lot of wide receivers. Still, it doesn't feel like a wide receiver one definitive type performance type player at this point. Dante Cephas, you and I were hearing that this guy could be number one as well, that he could supplant Keandre Lambert-Smith, he's also been, to a degree, a non-factor. Uh, Malik McLean, I think the jury's still out. I think it's too early. He's got three years of eligibility remaining with Penn State, I believe. So I don't think we've seen his true form, his final form, by any stretch. So I'm, I, I, I have yet to really sit there and judge McLean so harshly. Trey being out is a problem. That's been a problem for most of the season. Not a lot of Liam Clifford. Not a lot of – here's my thing. Omari Evans and Caden Saunders hardly see the field in this offense. So, like, are they that far behind the guys that are seeing the field? Because the guys that are seeing the field, the separation that Matthew pointed out is a real problem. Well, it makes you wonder, right? I mean, especially at the receiver position, it's a very – it's a trust – a trust, a heavy trust position for a coach to play, whether it's your, especially when you're dealing with a young quarterback, where you can like, hey, is this receiver going to be where he needs to be? Read the coverage the right way, find the right holes, so it's not easy turnovers and things of that nature. But I mean, it makes you wonder. But just to give the other aspect, if there is some level of distrust in those players. On the field, I mean, it comes in very different ways beyond just the talent, you know, talent meter. So that's something interesting to look at. But um, on top of that, I, I would like to say, I mean, to find a Jahan Dawson or Allen Robinson is not an easy feat, right? You're talking about first-round talent from that standpoint. But you're also highlighting the importance of finding those special players on the perimeter. Like to say just finding another first-round draft pick is not – an easy feat like that's what that's why it's so important when we talk about like the nil uh the nil era or the transfer portal you see guys like keanu coleman from florida state and just like those dynamic type of players that schools like florida state to upgrade the roster i know we brought dante cephas in or even looking at a keandre lambert and understanding what he can bring to the table i mean there is something to having a number one receiver that is a consensus 
hey, one-on-one matchup winner, right? When you talk about, hey, we have a guy that we can go after, we can draw plays in the dirt and just get him open. I don't know if we have that on the roster. But to that extent, that is a, I mean, that, that there's an intentional effort to finding those type of players. And so when you say having, I'm just going back to the point of having an Allen Robinson or Jahan Dotson, that is a, like, understand the weight of that statement because those players aren't just easy to find. So we've been blessed in that standpoint, and Keandre has been playing. He had a good game today. But I think what we're talking about is that consistency and a dominating force on the outside. Like last week when it came down to it, Ohio State didn't pull out some crazy um, offensive coordinator playbook or something super sophisticated. It's like, hey, we have this guy that we believe is receiver number one, and we're going to figure out a way to get him the ball and for him to make plays. I think that's what we're looking for because even it was, if it was Deshaun Hamilton when he was here, he played that role where it was like, hey – we need a win now. Who are we going to? Oh, go to Dejan. He's gonna he's gonna make a play, right? So like it, it comes in very different ways. I mean, I'm saying he's a fourth round uh, draft pick as well. But it, it, those are the type he was of the players. Guy. He was he the was, guy. He was he was the guy, and that's the, what you expect from the guy. So like just to find that fine line of someone that we're that can be successful with, and where we're lacking in that position because there are areas where we have to win the one on one matchups, right? Like when teams challenge us. And got to Keandre has to make those big catches on third down. And I mean, great W, great winning touchdown, and all those different things. But just to the comment of where we are lacking at receiver, just understanding the dynamics of what those pieces look like and the process and bringing them in. You hit the nail on the head, and I think we've been very spoiled at Penn State for a little while now, and that the expectations are such. You mentioned Deshaun Hamilton, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin then rolled right into K.J. Hamler, then rolled right into Jahan Dotson and give Parker Washington his flowers. I don't think he's necessarily on the exact same level as those guys, but certainly was closer to being a true number one last season when Penn State certainly needed it. Uh, obviously, had some injury issues last year, but I digress. Penn State's been spoiled, so there's an expect expectation that it's the next guy off the assembly line, and it's just it, it's not that easy. Uh, Matthew, again, here a comment. No separation from the wide receivers. And is Drew maybe holding the ball too long? What do you think? I mean, it could be a mixture of it, but I think Drew also has an ability that when he holds the ball, good things happen. Like, I mean, I think there was he showed some promise in moving around in the pocket a little bit better than last week. It didn't seem like he was an immobile quarterback. He put, took the ball down and ran a little bit sometimes. He made some moves and and uh threw the ball downfield late in downs in certain moments. So I think there's a, it's a slippery slope to say if he's holding the ball too long because when you're trying to make plays, sometimes you do have to hold the ball. But if someone's covered, you have to hold the ball as well. <laughs> I think it could be a little bit of both. But uh, he has the ability, I think, to sh- stretch plays and expand, I mean, extend plays and, you know, get the ball downfield. So I don't think that's too, um, I don't think it's a critical thing for him to hold on to the ball a little bit. And I'll I'll throw some of this out there is that, listen, Tom Allen and that Indiana defense, they came prepared. They threw a lot of different defensive looks and blitzes at Drew Auer today to make him uncomfortable. They clearly studied what Penn State struggled with against Ohio State, and they duplicated a good amount of it. That was an Indiana defense that 
you know, we talked about it coming in. It's like, yeah, are they world beaters? No, but that is consistently a Tom Allen defense that is disciplined. They're in the right places. They don't make a ton of mistakes. So that was definitely something that bothered Drew. Yes, I would say the wide receivers continue to struggle to get separation. The one thing personally I want to see more of is you're putting tight ends in the slot and they're winning. You consistently see that seam route, that post route, that go route from a Theo Johnson from the slot. Hell, Tyler Warren, Khalil Dinkins, Andrew Rapelier really hasn't gotten that specific opportunity. But Penn State's ability and depth at tight end in the middle of the field where we talked about in the preview episode is like, man, why isn't Penn State thrown in the middle of the field? Well, there's a matchup that you can exploit, Justin. Maybe that's just me looking at it from a bird's eye view, but certainly seems like something Penn State could go back to if the wide receivers aren't getting space. Well, I mean, it seems like that's what happens even when getting to the red zone, right? When you bring out that Dinkins tight end slips uh, like crosser where they score. I love times. that. You come out in one right? set, you motion to another set, you motion again, you got them all over the place. Fine with that. Yeah, getting movement before the, before the snap count, right? I think that happens. And like you said, when we have the tight ends, like, incorporating them into the game plan. I mean, that's where a lot of mismatches just exist when you have a versatile um, like H-back or tight end to go against linebackers. Man, that's why those hybrid guys are so such a premium in today's area of recruiting because you have to be able to cover those big, you know, that aces group. And that aces group needs to be able to get away from those dynamic defensive players. And I think that's what we have uh, – um, we definitely have an advantage in that area. So, I mean, we've seen the touchdowns in the production when we've attacked that area. So I would definitely agree that the more we incorporate the tight ends and just attack in the middle of the field, the better. Uh, Jeremy Garland dropping, uh, dropping in the chat here. They will have to clean up and get better right quick for next week. Couldn't agree more. The Maryland game is going to be a challenge despite their loss to Northwestern at Maryland, I think, will be a challenge. Uh, Jeremy also saying, um, why didn't they put Prabula in more often? Uh, he got in there late in the game to just kind of mop up. I mean, I'm not I'm not sure. It was interesting. James has said that they had plans of putting him in against Ohio State and kind of left it at that last week, almost like just from the flow of the game, it got away from actually incorporating the package. But I don't, I don't, I can't answer. I can't answer that why they're not running the the package. I mean, until you get a complete control of the identity of the offense, sometimes it's hard to run that dual quarterback look if we're having choppy third down situations or choppy um, pass execution um, on a consistent basis when you're really trying to establish who you are on offense. I know it's in the middle of the season. It's kind of late into that, but I mean, we've been. St- Still been having hiccups at, on on offense, and so I mean it's it's hard to throw in a quote unquote package when you talk about just the flow of the game, game theory, and understanding how you're trying to call your offense, the offense plays, and just staying on script and setting up the rest of the game. Sometimes it doesn't fit, and maybe it doesn't matter if it fits or not. So like I, I'm not I'm not sure, but it, it's tough to call for a package when like the offensive identity isn't established yet. Even though the fall can feel jam-packed, HelloFresh makes whipping up a home-cooked dinner actually doable with quick and easy options, including their 15-minute meals. That's less time than it takes to get delivery. And with everything 
pre-portioned and delivered right to your door every week, it really is a no-brainer. Some of my personal favorites, the pub-style shepherd's pie is delicious, and the fully loaded pork taquitos, two of my favorite dishes, and Justin, on top of that, they're healthy, they're fresh, and they save me time and money. Talk about convenience, something that tastes good and saving money. I mean, it's essential in my life where I'm just running around, whether it's podcast, talent management, dealing with my daughter in tennis and moving around and having a healthy, convenient meal that saves money on the grocery bill. And just the food budget is amazing. It's a plus one in my book. You hit the nail on the head. We all know HelloFresh takes the hassle out of mealtime, but did you know it can also save you money? HelloFresh is 25% less expensive than takeout. So that means you can get an easy home-cooked meal on the table and more money back in your pocket. So head to HelloFresh.com slash 50Lion and use code 50Lion, that's 50-L-I-O-N, for 50% off plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash 50Lion and use the code 50Lion, 50-L-I-O-N, for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. I completely agree with that. I really do. And Penn State fans have this expectation of this Bo Perbula package because the coaching staff has put it out into the universe that there will be a Bo Perbula package. It's been talked about from winter workouts through spring ball, the offseason, summer. I mean, like it's it's been out there for a while. So everybody was kind of like, oh, well, we might see this as a wrinkle. And to your point, there's certain pages of the playbook that you're not going to touch if you can't handle the meat and potatoes, so to speak. Uh, Julian Rodriguez getting in the chat here. What happened to that physical punishing team that would bludgeon opponents for four quarters? Can that team please stand up? And I think this comes back to not to downplay the competition Penn State for its first six weeks, first six games, but I think it's been proven what that competition was. And West Virginia, I think, has been probably the best team in that first six games that Penn State uh, endured. And then obviously Ohio State, a class above but some of those wins in, in retrospect you know they look good based on what we know Penn State to be now and it, it, like yeah you bludgeoned some lesser opponents you bludgeoned some teams that you should have bludgeoned this was a team frankly you should have beaten a lot more soundly than you did but uh, I think the big thing to take away from this game Justin and Matthew said uh you know the D showed up when we needed it to We've not said that once all season and because all season it's been, boy, the defense just dominated from kickoff to the final whistle. And even against Ohio State, they struggled, but they were still very, very difficult for Ohio State to get past. This was very different. What, what was going on with the defense today? I mean, the two big plays, right? We talk about explosive plays being unacceptable. I mean, the first one, I'm not exactly sure what happened between Zaki Wheatley and uh, Jalen Reed. It looked like they were playing like a quarters concept. Like one was like, I don't know if supposed to carry number two up vertical. Sometimes you have different principles. Number two up, you stay with them. I was I, I didn't get this full view because I don't have like the film, but it looked like Zaki Wheatley was sitting on number two. He got on top and Jalen Reed didn't get over top of Number two, and I said I'm going on if it was like a two-man type of situation, but long story short, you can't get beat by the deepest man from that standpoint. It seemed like a technical error from that. And on the second, um, like it was the wheel route, I mean, they had a corner blitz on from Johnny Dixon, and you saw K.J. Winston kind of 
edge, edging up from the inside. And I don't know if he was supposed to play a stock technique overneath or Jalen Reed supposed to get over number one, which is the receiver that would be displaced once the corner blitzed. And neither one of those things happened. Jalen Reed kind of stayed in the middle. Uh, KJ Winston stayed down and the receiver went uncovered. So that is what happens when you have, when you play with the opportunistic defense and a blitz heavy style defense. I mean, you grow up and you always think like, hey, we're going to blitz and that's the way we want to play. But there's a true risk reward to also blitzing because there's a lot of moving parts to the mechanics that the defensive players have to play. They have to pick up and read. I never even realized how critical pressures were until I got to the NFL and we would have our blitz uh, blitz period. And that's when coaches would go crazy, kick people out of practice because if they're going to put – if you want to have a coach or an aggressive defensive coordinator, you have to be buttoned up, on point, hair on fire, and extremely intelligent and sound when you're blitzing. So I was one of the things when you play for opportunistic style, attack style defense for like for Manny Diaz that are on the other side when things aren't buttoned up. So I think that is what we saw in the explosive plays early on, and we have not seen that throughout the season, but that's the the dark side of um, exotic blitz defenses when players don't play uh, their assignment correctly. Um, it can get bad quick. And that was something we saw last year with Manny Diaz's defense is that, yes, it was a very good defense, but still I, I would argue this year's is better, and you would see more situations like that where, yeah, they'd give up an explosive or something like that. So I almost look at those big plays that occur, those two big long touchdown passes in the first half, two singular plays, anomalies in the grand scheme of things. Yes, they really hurt you because 14 points on the board, that, that that's a problem, obviously. But in the end, it's like, yeah, Penn State finally got things together. Tackling wasn't great for the first half, and it seemed like they got things organized. Uh, Matthew getting in the chat here, Daquan Hardy is a playmaker. Completely agree. He nearly took another punt back for a touchdown. Uh, his tackling was a little suspect in the first half, but still everybody seemed to get it together defensively there in the second half. So I, I know, Justin, there's some times where people are like, yeah, like halftime adjustments aren't real. Like some people are like, yeah, you get in the locker room, you, you talk about a couple of things, but like there's no major changes made. It's tweaks. And it seemed like going into the locker room, I'm hoping the guys were read the riot act because they, they kind of earned it at that point. And we know what James is like. We know what Manny Diaz is like. And hopefully that turned things around. But defensively, they just seemed like they woke up in the second half. Yeah, I mean, we talk about special teams being a defensive component of the game, and I think that's actually what sparked the turnaround. I think the the botched punt um, from Indiana, us covering and then kind of going into scoring. And also, even on the spark plug of Daquan almost returning the punt return, it was demoralizing from that standpoint. And just even circling back to what you said, yeah, giving up the two explosives is demoralizing from – uh, just a point standpoint, but when you give up explosives like a 90-yard touchdown or a 60-yard touchdown, not only it, does it you know take the wind out of the team and the defense, it it puts your defensive coordinator in a, a peculiar situation to how to call the rest of the defense because now you're on your heels because when I'm attacking, we're we're getting we're getting beat deep. So like it really it really puts us giving up explosive plays in a very hard um, spot for the rest of the game. And you saw that they came to, they answered the bell the second half 
And yes, Daquan Hardy is a playmaker. Having someone that can return punts, make plays in between, and even having the ability to make have a sack, you know what I mean, on pl- pressures and things of that nature. Because when we see Penn State lead in the country and defensive back pressures or sacks, when you had Johnny Dixon um, blitzing or Cam Miller and you see Daquan Hardy, like those are the areas on the back end that just have to be tied up so we can like you know, experience the benefits of having this dynamic defense and guys getting after um, the quarterback. But it's something to button up, and it comes with the territory of, again, that type of defense. Like when I played here, we played cover three, single high, and it was don't get bit deep. So we didn't have all these exotic pressures and explosive plays on defense, and we were just more like a straight-up team. And that was like a, a risk reward with that. Like we maybe they get beat deep or give up the explosive plays, but we also didn't create massive turnovers. It was just a, a constant play of of talent over the other squad. So it's just, you know, it's a different style of play of football. But I mean, I enjoy it. And you guys have to, you know, just pucker up and tighten up on that back end. And remember, no chop Robinson today. And I believe Amin Vanover was out as well. Not a starting defensive end, but still somebody that rotates in. So the pass rush lacked its normal bite. And that's perhaps why you saw some more blitzes that were involving a lot more guys. Shout out to Johnny Dixon, who continues to be outstanding, both in coverage uh, and blitzing. He's We talked about it on the show, and Alan Zemitis has said that he's the best, the best blitzing defensive back in the country. Hard to argue with that. Not the most... Locked down day for lockdown you altogether. I'm sure there's a lot of things they would like back in this game. Uh, Kabindra getting in the chat saying, Let's not get fooled by this W. This one and oh was clearly an L. This offensive scheme just looks horrendous with Drew Dinkin Dunk Aller. So, uh, Drew's entire stat line 20 for 31, 210 yards, three touchdowns, a pick, 65% completion percentage. That is his first interception as a Penn State Nittany Lion. 301 attempts it took for him to throw a pick. It's the longest streak to start a career by nearly 100 passing attempts. The next guy was uh, Robert Griffin III, who had 209 attempts before he threw a pick. So the, 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 the fact that he protects the football as well as he does is great. Did I love the pick? Absolutely not. Back foot going down, bodies on him, just kind of launched it up. He wants that back. There are plenty of throws that I think he liked back. I think there are plenty of looks today that he would like back. The dink and dunk aspect, we talked about it through the season, is that, oh, I kind of think this is the offense, is that it's a little more West Coast. It's nickel and dime you down the field. Now it is getting to the point where it's like, okay, like this isn't enough from the passing game. And I, I again, I struggle to put this entirely on Drew Aller. Some of it's play calling. Some of it's the wide receivers. Sometimes it's the offensive line not providing the protection that they need. Sometimes it's drops. Like it's just the the entire body is experiencing symptoms. It's not just one part. Uh, what did you see, Justin? I mean, I think what you said is completely accurate. I mean, when you're evaluating that quarterback position, there's so many different areas of that evaluation process. Is he having enough time to throw the ball? Are the receivers getting open? Or is what plays are being called? Like, how is he? being coached throughout the week to attack the defense. And I think when we saw, like, even we talk about the interception, it comes on a day where we had plays going downfield. Like, so, like I said, when we talk about the risk-reward on defense, this is the like risk-reward aspect on offense. And we looked at our receiver core when we mentioned that 
You need to have a uh, get more separation. They need to win more of the one-on-one battles. Saying that you need Allen Robinson or Jahan Dotson type of player, like all those different type of things, go into that quote-unquote deep dink and dunk outcome of Drew Aller. And, and I mean, it, it's it's unfortunate, but like you have to look at it in a you know comprehensive view when you're looking at that quarterback position. So I mean, it's not all on him. I mean, he has to Mike Yurcich has to help out in how he calls the game how he's how he's attacking the different defenses and things of that nature but i mean i think that's what we're continuing to see is like trying to still find their rhythm and where they fit and when you have hiccups on certain areas of, of your offense i mean that's what that's i think that's what we're seeing you know what i mean so i don't I don't know. I don't know if I'm answering that question or not, but <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't necessarily know what the answer is outside of getting Drew or Mike Yursich on this show to explain like why this play call here, there, and you know that's not I mean, <laughs> but I mean, like, and it's not even I don't even know if that's necessary, but it's just no, like no, but you know, I, I mean, just to the point of, of the comment though, it's just you know, I mean, there's a level of dink. I mean, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history is a dink and dunk guy in Tom Brady. So, like, it's just how you slice it because when it's operating beautifully, I mean, like the West Coast offense is a basically a dink and dunk offense when you want to think of it that way. So, like, I don't like the negative connotation of a dink and dunk type of perspective because when it operates beautifully, I mean, we love it. We watched the 49ers. We watched the old Bill Walsh the West Coast offense. It's like – and even the Jerry Rice, even though there were big plays in there, but it was built off of having a foundation and a route tree that you could dink and dunk throughout the, essentially throughout the field, making the right reads. And if that's what they're trying to implement, I mean. Technically, they are doing that. It's right. Not as you know what I mean? or sexy like, as we like, but. Exactly. So it's just a matter of executing those big plays and being efficient and getting a rhythm, winning on third down, converting and continuing to move the chain. So. I mean, I think we were just in for a surprise today against, I mean, Indiana. They got a little turnover, different offensive coordinators are coming out with a little bit of different spunk. We mentioned that in the show last week of how do you prepare for an offense that's coming out against you that something completely different that you've seen. So maybe that was some of the um, little hiccups that we, we we witnessed early in the game where it was like hey, it was something different than they've seen on film. But you never know. Credit to their quarterback, Soresby, uh, 13 of 19, 269 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception, 68% completion percentage. He had himself uh, a good game. I'll, I'll say this. If this is a dink and dunk offense, in my mind, if that means Khalil Dinkins gets a touchdown consistently and then you have a tight end run a seam route and he can dunk on the goalposts, then I'm like, yeah, that dink and dunk I'd be good with. Go to the tight ends more because they've got these openings. They have these mismatches where you're going to be working up against a undersized corner in the slot or a linebacker who cannot run with Dinkins, Warren, Theo Johnson. Like, again, I come back to it. I'd like to see more of that. Matthew, thank you so much in the chat. You're very supportive of us. Again, hit the like button, subscribe, comment, turn on notifications, uh, all those good things. Rate us on audio-only platforms. We appreciate it. Uh, Matthew also saying dink and dunk, uh, no separation. Uh, not a fan of this scheme. The the scheme is the scheme at this point. Uh, Mike Yurcich is calling the plays as he is. Uh, I want to get to Justin here in the chat. Can we see some more single back formations? Get the running back some momentum before hitting the line of scrimmage. Um, you're seeing that out of the shotgun. I mean, like a, a pistol formation, maybe where they have you know seven yards of depth. I mean, 
that's a sometimes that's a completely different offense. I'm not sure. I mean, if you're in the dot or if you just how your offense is set up, I'm not exactly sure why you don't see too much single back. But we have we don't put uh, we don't put Drew under center that much to begin with. So I mean, that's just the evolution of football because. I don't know. That's, I mean, I guess it's a good question because you just don't typically see single bag, you know, dot formations in college football anymore. I mean, it's typically like a pro style. Type if of deal. Drew was under center, but that's really not the way the offense operates. And then right. even if Drew was under center, say you want to go power eye, this is not a system that has a fullback. True. You know what I mean? So like it's like where that single eye like kind of fits in and what else, the other things you do. I mean, I mean, you could throw some wrinkles in there, but. Yeah, I think you're more so asking why don't we get Nick Singleton and these guys getting downhill a little bit more or just right. more of a power attack. But I think we saw it a little bit today with the T formation. And I mean, got off to a little puttery start and then we ended up scoring a little bit later. But that was kind of our eye formation under center um, type of bully ball uh, approach. But I mean, we'll see how it continues to progress. But we didn't even execute that to the level that we probably want to, even though we scored a touchdown out of it. Yeah, and uh, Justin in the chat here, kind of piggybacking on what you just said, uh, J. King, uh, zone read isn't working, no threat of quarterback running, and very rarely pulled a quick throw. Seems like they're missing the biggest positive aspects of the concept. Um, I, I understand, yeah, Drew, not the most mobile quarterback, ran a good amount today. He bought himself time. He had some positive gains, but yeah, he, he's not Trace McSorley in that he has a surefire running ability that the, the offense can lean on. Uh, but do you agree with this point that Penn State is missing the biggest positive aspects of this concept? Uh, pretty much the zone read not working or just that Drew's not like a running? I think the support. question is mostly the zone read not working. Yeah, well, the zone read not working. I mean, I can definitely understand that if you don't have a threat of Drew actually attacking you from that, that standpoint. Um, but I, I don't think it stops you from having a successful zone read attack from the gun as well. Like, I think it's, it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, you can have a zone read without a quarterback that doesn't run, you know, that's not a, a running back per se, like, or get lost at what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, being unsuccessful at like running the ball from that position doesn't mean that the zone read attack can't work without a running mobile quarterback. So like I I don't know. I just gonna just need to execute the the play calls a little bit better and move along that path. Mm -hmm. That's kind of tricky for me. Uh Matthew, once again in the chat, chop must be key because he was obviously missed today. I, I concur with that when you have a guy who is probably a first round draft pick and arguably the best defensive defensive end in America missing, arguably the best pass rusher in America missing. I think it's going to be a factor no matter what. On a positive note, thank you for some positivity here, Eli Hoff. Uh DDS, a deny Dennis Sutton is a beast. I can see him being a high draft pick. I, I think I have to agree with that, Justin. And you and I have talked about is that. His build is unique for the position in that he gives me, I don't think he's filled out entirely, but he gives me the vibes of a Miles Garrett in terms of the wingspan and the size and the speed, all of that stuff combined. He's just not put it together yet, but Deny Dennis Sutton is a real presence at the end. 
No, he's definitely a specimen. I don't, I, I like the tread lightly when you throw Miles Garrett into the conversation. I'm not saying he I, is. I'm saying wingspan. I understand. I understand, but like that's, a different, that's right. a different category. But in that fold of like you talk about just a specimen and in the way he plays at that size and being able to move and you know his his ability to affect the pass rush, I think makes him uh, have the makings of a possible high draft pick if he continues to progress and his production on the field and just his, his level of play. But he's definitely somebody that we should definitely keep an eye on. And I mean, I'm sure the NFL knows about him. I'm, I'm sure they're, they're aware of it. <laughs> uh, Chris from Penn state almost gave me 2020 vibes today. And I feared the worst today. I'm starting to fear that we might not get a good bowl game. Now I know the offense is bad, but Oh my God. I, I, I genuinely don't think you're going to see Penn state in a bad bowl game it depends on how you look at it obviously new year six is what everybody at this point is like okay that that would be ideal um depending how everything else shakes out in the rest of the country i i wouldn't be shocked if penn state still made a new year six and like we we don't know what's going to happen necessarily against michigan let's say that's a loss and penn state winds up just a two-loss team in the big 10 there's still value in Penn State, and I always go to the off-the-field things when it comes to evaluating Penn State in a bowl game, Justin. This is a fan base that travels. They tune in for the game. Penn State is a money brand. So even if you're going to put them in a lesser bowl game, it's not going to be that much less. It's hard to keep a blue blood, blue blood brand excuse me, <laughs> like Penn State out of these major bowl games where they want eyeballs and butts and seats. That's the positive at the end of the day. Realistically, at, at this point in time, I, I don't think Penn State's going to beat Michigan, and I felt that way coming into the season. I just don't like the matchup. I really don't think it's good for Penn State based on what Michigan does well and what Penn State uh, struggles with, and those things have been amplified on both sides, both schools since then. But, yeah, even if this team has two losses in the regular season, I, I don't know if there's reason to be like, oh, you know, screw it, we're getting a bad bowl game, I'm tuning out the rest of the year. No, absolutely. But you're, you're right. And what is a bad bowl game? Because, I mean, cause sometimes it's just if it's not a, a New York Six game or if it's not one of the, the big four or if it's not in the playoffs, right? Like sometimes that's considered not a, a good bowl game, especially when we think about the expectation coming into the season. But like the, what you said, the way that we travel, we're going to still be in top uh, of the um, Big Ten. And we still got to see what happens against Michigan. But let's say that happens. You just talk about it. Is that 10 and 2 type of season? Like that's a pretty I mean, you'll you'll end up in a good a good bowl game when you talk about traveling and having a good winter vacation. Samuel, I appreciate the positivity. I think like, yeah, we, this was not a pretty win. I completely agree with you guys, but it's like, all right, at least they won. So you're you're happy on that side. It's a W. Sometimes you just gotta get out with a W. In the words of Todd Blackledge, it's hard to win in the Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we're going right back into some, uh, you know, sadder thoughts. Plumber Phil in the comments section here. Is there more than one way to say they are going nowhere? Um, I don't necessarily understand the back end of your question here, Plumber Phil. Forgive me, but going nowhere, it kind of comes back to what you were just saying, Justin. Yes, there's so many people that came into the season thinking a Big Ten championship game, plausible. College football playoff, plausible. Some people thought national championship, plausible. Those are three big goals to try and hit. And now that we're seeing what the team is, if anything, 
and I'm not trying to punt to next season, but it kind of is like, hmm, the, the building blocks are here because we felt like the building blocks were there last year. And now it's like, okay, now these these young role players, these young big role players, I guess I should say, of Aller, Singleton, Catron, wide receivers that are coming up through the ranks, young offensive line talent. Let's not forget about that. Yes, Olu is outstanding. The rest of this offensive line, I think it's been proven that this is just not what we expected it to be, and that's unfortunate. I think there's real talent on this offensive line, but there is a lot of work that Phil Troutwine has done recruiting to get offensive line talent. I think offensively, you're going to see progress into 2024, and I know that's what nobody wants to hear. Everybody was like, that progress is supposed to be realized in 2023. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I completely agree with you, and when I was like – it only gets tougher moving forward. We got USC, we got uh, UCLA, UW coming into the fold, and it, it, the competition gets stiffer. But you're absolutely right, and I mean, this is is based on the expectations coming into the season, where it's kind of tough to swallow. Yeah. Listen, I want to thank everybody for chiming in here in the chat and joining us. I know this was a difficult game to watch and and comprehend, and I think there's still even more we have to discover about this team. This road game coming up against Maryland next weekend is going to be a challenge, and I know Maryland just went down today to Northwestern, but still, you cannot underestimate Mike Loxley. Talia Tonga-Vailoa is still a good quarterback, capable of doing some very good things against a Penn State. And I come back to that game they put together against Ohio State. Had they played four complete quarters of football, they could have knocked off the Buckeyes that day in Columbus, but that it just didn't play out that way. So now I am, you know, not nervous necessarily going into this Maryland game. I still I have my confidence, just like I did going into Indiana, but like this is another must win. Every one of these games, frankly, is a must win because for those of us that have big time aspirations for the postseason, whether it's a New Year's Six Bowl game, et cetera, you have got to win out in order to really make that argument strong. And I know winning out involves beating Michigan. That is a huge ask at this point in time. But still, you got to take this one game at a time. And hopefully this was the hangover getting shaken off by Penn State. And now you can move forward and, and handle business against Maryland. Uh, Justin, any final thoughts off of this game? No, I mean, we got to go into it because, like you said, Maryland's going to be a, a, a dogfight just from the standpoint of a lot of those guys get recruited in the same region. And they're going to be get up to play against Penn State. I mean, Loxley, you know, him and James, they've been on the same staff but previously. That always gets guys ready to play. I mean, they have a rivalry against us that we don't have against them. So even that, we have to be prepared and ready to go because – they they are capable even after coming off of a loss. Them coming off of a loss, us coming off of a a, a victory, but maybe not in the fashion we wanted to see. Uh, it's it's, a, it's definitely a game to keep our ears perked up for and come out ready to play because they're going to be, I think, ready to play for play us. Number ten, Penn State takes care of Indiana closely by a score thirty three to twenty four at home. Up next, the Maryland Terrapins. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by Bet Online. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.